Now, they had four singles on this album, and um, I, I have to say three of them right off the bat. Uh, were ones that I knew before I even purchased the album, um, mm. just because they got a ton of radio play. I was living in Colorado when this came out, and uh, I heard them constantly. Uh, this was one of them, and it actually uh, was a song I was listening to when I got hit by a car. This is called Gypsy Road. <laughs> That is an ass-kicking song. One of my favorites of all time. I love Gypsy mm. Road. How about that Cozy Powell drumming? Those drums sound yes. amazing. Now you know it's Cozy Powell. You're like, oh, I get it now. But just the way he's legging yeah. that groove and with the kick. Doom, bum, 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 bum. Like, oh, I love it. The lyrics are fantastic. Tom sounds amazing on this. I love that guitar. Like, that tone is amazing on that opening riff. It just knocks you right back in your seat. Uh, th this is a, a has always been a standout for me, and I still I will listen to Gypsy Road a uh, couple times a week. Just whenever I need a, a pick me up, I'll I'll pop this song, and it's fantastic. It is, and I love that there's just it, there isn't twang in the guitar, but it sounds like there's twang in the guitar. You know, he's not playing it with a twang style, but it just the way that the riff is has that feel to it. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And uh, actually, I was really paying attention to the drums this time, listening to it with the headphones on and. The whole Cozy Powell, uh, Cozy Powell uh, discussion. Love the drums in this; like they sound so good. Just a nice whip crack snare, big bass sounded great. Uh, nothing to, to complain about. Yeah, and I like that he's playing the hi hats a little open on this. You know, there as as you're a drummer, Corey, so you know. But the the level of tightness of the hi hat can really change the feeling of the song. You know, if if this was a very tight hi-hat, the song would not groove the way that it does. It would just have more of a of a pop feel to it. Uh, but having it open like that uh, really just kind of pushes the song along, almost like like you're driving. Which is the point, right? Like, th this is about driving all night till I see the light. And uh, my God, when I was, uh, how old would I have been in 1988? I would have been like 14 years old when this song came out. But two years later, when I was 16... Man, if I could find a fast-talking mama for a dollar who'd put a smile on my face, man, I would take her up on that offer uh, 10 times out of 10. Right. Oh, you young kids. I was 18 at the time. Oh. And uh, just so you know, I knew everything about life at that point. Naturally. Because, of course, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, was, uh, I, I was actually driving back from the record store. I think it was when I got uh, Sam Haynes' Initium CD. Uh, and I was, I was on my way home. And somebody ran a stop sign and and uh, and hit me. Um, so that's an unfortunate memory associated with the song, but it does not stop me from from loving the song. It is a it is as hard rocker of a song as you could ask. 
and the solo in this one is is wonderful. I, I don't know if you, if you can bring up the solo a little bit, but it is so good. I'd love to hear some here. I think I can do that. And you know, it's interesting because this song is only uh, just under four minutes long, and uh, it it doesn't it doesn't even feel like it's that long. I mean, it just goes so fast. But uh, let's check out the solo. It's like Southern rock without it being Southern rock. It's so dirty and so filthy. I love that in my guitars, even the rhythm underneath, right. Would, would take like a big dive down like there, 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 that just, just add a little extra filth to it. A little stank. Yeah. That's wonderful. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, it really is. And again, it just feels like it flows off of his fingers, you know, like, like just water dripping into a bin. Yep. Yeah. It's good stuff. Our uh, our next song is another one that was definitely a, a huge hit. In fact, I'm kind of surprised. Well, I don't watch that many movies, but I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen this song pop up in a bunch of movies because it seems like this one's incredibly licensable. It's called Don't Know What You Got. I, now that I'm I'm thinking about this, I could actually use a little bit more kick drum in that. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, this song is maybe an example of going on too long, being being a little more repetitive, uh, like you had mentioned off the hop. Yeah. Uh, but one of their biggest hits. Uh, you mentioned it being in movies. Uh, I think it might have been in the movie The Wrestler. Uh, okay. Darren Aronofsky's uh, film The Wrestler, uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, I remember uh, Roy from The Office, uh, when they were going to close the branch down, he talked about it's like that song uh, Cinderella. Don't know what you got till it's gone. So it's it is uh, dropped there. But I've got it with you. I'm surprised it wasn't uh, licensed in more things because yeah. um, when when you think about the 1980s, you you think about this song. It was a pretty massive track. Yeah, and and it would have been competing. I think around the time with uh, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. That was uh, right? also 88. Yeah, uh, although that started out with the cheesy uh, breath from uh, from Brett. <laughs> you know the, the little sigh yeah. for effect. Uh, I, I like this one. I like that it just kind of fades in. It, it really feels like a representation of what that feeling is. It just comes at you, you know, almost out of nowhere, that grief. And and this is probably a, one of the most identifiable songs for everybody on the planet. 
Yeah. And it's one that uh, when you've heard it ad nauseum, like if I'm popping on uh, Long Cold Winter, uh, I might skip it just because I've heard it 10,000 times. But uh, you, you can't deny its impact. You can't deny it's a great song. Uh, musically, I thought it was great. Uh, there's maybe some, uh, you know, piano I thought was great on this. The guitar solo, again, is a real standout for me uh, on this song, especially for a ballad. When I think of the the weepy ballads of the 80s, every album had to have a ballad. Um, th- this is top tier for me. Well, there's there's solos that hit with the emotion that you're trying to do, but they also just fit within the musical framework so well. And then there's other solos that hit the emotion, but they don't really necessarily work with the song. Um, feels like they were maybe in a different room when they were recording it and weren't listening to the track. Uh, this one is dead on with the song. I think, you know, a solo is supposed to replace the vocalist and give you some a little bit of variety instead of there being another verse. And uh, I, I really think he nails it. I'm going to cue it up so we can hear it. But uh, the sound on the song is another one. Uh, with the exception of the kick drum, I have to say mix-wise, this is another song that I think is just so beautifully done. Um as I heard it so many times on the radio. And like you mentioned, it's it's one that you might skip, but when you do take the time to listen to it, it kind of hits you all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's not a throwaway ballad. Like so many bands, like we need a ballad to put on the record because the record company says we need a ballad. They'll knock out something stupid in, in 10 minutes and throw it on the record. It's a lot of time and effort went into this one. Uh, but Andy Johns produced this record and he produced a lot of, a lot of Led Zeppelin, or he worked on a lot of Led Zeppelin. So the fact that it's missing some kick drum is kind of surprising coming from an Andy Johns produced track. Right. Yeah. Well, when you're when you're not working with a drummer who, you know, has 47 inch bass drums and puts him in a coffin <laughs> with an echo chamber. And I mean, John Bonham had uh, had such an individual sound. You don't even need to know who the band is or what the song is. If you just heard the isolated drum track, you would know it was Bonham. Here's the guitar solo from Don't Know What You Got. is not a guitar solo that is somebody's soul speaking yes well put it, it, it took me right back to to like a, a school dance you finally work up the nerve to ask a girl to dance and this is the song that's playing and uh good times good times yeah. they weren't all good times back in 1988 but there i had a couple same here and, and you know as you're as you're getting ready to go ask her and you finally worked up the courage the captain of the football team comes and sweeps her away when you're about two feet from her you know? <laughs> yeah pretty much and then you don't know what you got till it's gone or yeah, everybody can relate yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely a song that uh you, you know it's it, i i it's it's one that i almost at times can't listen to because it's just it just hits the heart so hard yeah no especially I... knowing that solo's coming up spent a lot of heartbreak nights uh, listening to this song and, and shedding the odd tears. So I'm with yeah. you there, my friend. Well, to all those people that made us feel that way, fuck them. All right. Yeah. So our, <laughs> our next song uh, is another one that was released as a single, and this one is called The Last Mile. Oh. 
I really do love those layered uh, backing vocals. I, I think they're really nice. The, the, um, the intro, though, kind of reminded me a lot of Coming Home, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. A little bit maybe a, of a happier, faster version of it. Um, this is where I started to feel that the album was was getting a little bit formulated. You know, where it's like, here's the structure of the song. This is the classic rock style setup. Um, but overall, the song has a really good feeling. I could see why they chose it as a single. It's got a great groove. Lyrically, it sounds great. You mentioned those those background vocals. The harmonies are tight. Uh, I, I really dig the the lyrics, too. Uh, you know, down on the farmland, Mississippi shade. Folks down there tell you, take it day by day. You know, I grew up on a farm. You know, it, it kind of fit. I could kind of relate. Uh, that's a song that later on in their career, they would do acoustically. Ooh. I believe just Eric and Tom on acoustics. Uh, doing the last mile and not doing it in the Tom Kiefer voice, but doing it kind of in his normal singing voice. Uh, there's actually, uh, if you pick up the Live at the Key Club uh, album, uh, they do the uh, acoustic version of the last mile. And it's very cool uh, to hear it kind of, you know, taken down a step and, and played a little slower. But um, this is always, I love this song. And, you know, I it was released as a single, like you said. Um, to me, it does the, the album doesn't get formulaic until the next song, really. Uh, I, I love the last mile just because the guitar sound great. The yeah. little things like, uh, you know, what Cozy's doing on the cymbals in the intro, just little little flourishes, even just little ooh that they would kind of sprinkle in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, some good stuff right here and another great guitar solo. Yes. And and it's interesting because being a four-piece band, not having the benefit of a keyboard player to kind of fill things up, even with just like a gentle pad or something to thicken the sound, these songs really sound rich and full. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. Yeah, but for only four musicians. Now they had other uh, personal on on here that would do some uh, uh, some extra piano or organ or synths or or whatever. But when they went on the road, uh, I unfortunately never got a chance to see them. But from the videos I've seen, very powerful four piece could still knock out the last mile in, in Gypsy Road, and they sound amazing live. Now, did uh, did Tom Kiefer play piano live then when they did? Don't know what you got. Oh, on the Long Cold Winter Tour, they he actually would uh, be dropped down from the ceiling playing a, a, a white grand piano for don't know what you got. So, yeah. Wow. Well, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because in the eighties uh, that wasn't cheesy yet. You know, those yeah. kind of theatrics by, by mid nineties, I think we were kind of done with the, you know, flying in on a, on a high wire or, you know, riding your drums uh, upside down. The thing that people don't get about that and, and uh, you, your opinion may differ on this being a drummer, Corey, but you're still hitting in the same direction. The only difference is that you can't be upside down too long because you will start getting lightheaded, but mm. you're you're always hitting downward. And even yeah. though down is now up to your proportionate body, it's still down. So it's really not, and, and unless you're going very fast, uh, I don't really think that would affect me too much. It, it looks cool. It's not that impressive of a feat though. Yeah. Now, when he did the roller coaster thing on their uh, quote unquote last uh, last ever tour, uh, that might have been a little different. But again, you're you're still hitting down, but you, you're going to get the butterflies from the from the roller coaster. But yeah, just spinning around in a circle. Yeah, like you said, you're just always hitting down. It's well, when, when he could make it to the end of the track, I heard that it broke down quite a bit. That's right. Was was not on their quite final the... show. <laughs> well, yeah, their absolute final show for the DVD. It broke down like three quarters of the way. Right. Not not quite the bundle of joy it was intended to be, but. <laughs> They tried, you know. God bless but, Spinal but, Tap moments. But as a, as a gimmick, I mean, to an audience, it's it's very impressive looking, and, and it was unprecedented. It was one of those things that no one's ever done anything like this before. Uh, no one probably ever will again because you can't because everybody will say, "Well, Tommy Lee did that." So, 
it's kind of a one person can do this thing. And you know, what's kind of funny going back to Cinderella is when they went on the heartbreak station tour. Um, and I have to, I haven't read the book in a while, but the book, nothing but a good time talks about the eighties music scene. And they had a massive stage show with all these like moving levels. Like they had a, you know, a, a, a train station, that would come in on gimbals and stuff and just all sorts of convoluted stuff. But the, they were losing so much money every night because it yeah. took, it cost so much for that rig that they ditched that like two months in and just went to a strip down, you know, we'll put in a couple of flash pots here and there and, and just play the songs. Cause that's all they could afford. Right. Well, it does get expensive. I mean, there's, there's reasons with a company like say Cirque du Soleil where they have certain shows that can go on tour and they have certain shows that they can only do as resident shows because they just would be impossible to to set up and tear down. They would not be cost effective. They would be dangerous. And that's another thing is the danger factor to to that. I mean, one bolt not being in properly and, you know, somebody's missing an eyeball or a head. If the rigger is having a bad day, and you're Tom Kiefer and you're up near the, the roof of the venue you're playing in to be lowered down on a grand piano. Yeah, it, it could be a very bad day. Absolutely. Thankfully, nothing uh, of note happened, but it certainly had the potential. Absolutely. So uh, our fifth song, uh, which which brings us to the halfway point of the album, is called Second Wind. God for the bass on this song, really bringing that last part out. Yeah, no, good call. Uh, to me, this is always a song that would fit right at home on night songs. To me, this is more of that that late 80s glam metal uh, mm-hmm. track that you would get on a Rat record or a Slaughter record or something like that. It, it, it's not, you know, risen to the level of A Last Mile or A Gypsy Road. Uh, so to me, this one is kind of the more formulaic one, but it's got a good drive to it. Uh, they yeah. sound great. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the chorus, but uh, you put this on night songs and uh, I think it, it it would fit really well. One thing that that stood out to me, because it, it does feel like a bit of a long song, um, was just that that little extra guitar note, you know, that you hear in there that da da da, you know, and, and I'm like, all right, they could have come up with something different or, or changed yeah. that out a little bit. That does get a bit repetitive for me. Um, but now, since I know that Cozy played on this album, he's not one known for playing percussion. So I'm kind of wondering if he played the Latin percussion on this. Well, he didn't play on this track, actually. This is the one that uh, Denny Carmassi played on. Ah, okay. See, it's all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's a, it's a good track. It's a good rock and roll track, you know, but but definitely an album track. Nothing that, oh, that yeah. probably I, I would be surprised if they played this live even. Um well, maybe because they, they didn't have a lot of songs to choose from unless they were doing some covers because they only had two albums. So uh, maybe, but certainly I, I would imagine it wouldn't have stayed in the set list for very long. No, I don't think so. I, I agree with you. It's definitely an album track. 
Um, I don't have a set list in front of me, but I imagine uh, maybe coming out of a ballot or something, you can lead off with this as you're kind of ramping up to get into more of the hits. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't stay in the set list very long. I agree. Well, don't worry. If you had set list FM up right now and you said exactly what it said, somebody would still be writing and telling you you're wrong. So <laughs> happens all the time. It, it really does. Yeah. Uh, decent song. Uh, I do like the energy of it, though. I think it, it does yeah. have a good drive to it. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely um, not a standout track for me. Nope, I, I agree totally. This was always one when uh, when I had the cassette. Uh, I would get to the end of the last mile and then I would flip it because I wasn't the biggest fan of this one and I wasn't the biggest fan of the next one. And see, that was the nice thing about cassettes is the, you know, the songs almost lined up from time to time where you could just mm -hmm. maybe have to fast forward or rewind a little bit, but you could stay generally close to the area you wanted to be at. Unlike an eight track, which would just switch whenever it felt like it. Right. <laughs> did you, did you I, ever have eight tracks? You know what? Uh, not really. Uh, we had a vehicle that had an eight track player, but we never, I was a little bit uh, younger. Uh, you know, I was on the tail end of vinyl and of course we had cassettes, but yeah, I didn't really get into the eight tracks too much. Yeah. It was, it was really tough because it would get to your favorite part in the song and that's when the, the tape would flip tracks and there would be right, this, like, you know, <laughs> 10 second pause while it did it. And, and oh, it was painful. That's so weird. Just, yeah, in the middle of a song, it would switch sides and just... It, it was it was the most inefficient format for enjoyment of anything. <laughs> Thank God that that format didn't come back we, with this kind of resurgence of like first vinyl, which is now huge again. And now cassette tapes right. are getting remanufactured. Hopefully uh, a track stays dead. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I understand the cassette thing, I, yeah. I, you know, because cars don't have cassette players in them anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's kind of it, they, it's hard to find a car with a CD player in it anymore. So it's um it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I guess they could do Bluetooth cassette players or something, but I don't know. It just seems like a lot of extra effort for something that is still a magnetic tape. It's going to wear out. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a weird. It, it's it's going to be a short lived nostalgia trip. Would be my guess. The same with like VHS tapes. That that's kind of a big yeah. thing now too. Is VHS and it, it, it deserves this. We got DVD and Blu-ray now. We don't need VHS. We got CDs and thankfully we got vinyl. Uh, coming yeah. back in a form because uh, I, I love collecting vinyl. I got a nice big collection behind me here. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is a great op actual album uh, on vinyl. I got out the 180 gram uh, reissue of Long Cold Winter. Sounds mm -hmm. phenomenal on vinyl. I wonder, though, how they're doing some of these. If they're if they're taking the digitally remastered versions and then putting them on vinyl with, you know, some maybe uh, tube warmers or if they're actually going back to the original vinyl pressing and just recreating that. Um that's where I'm kind of skeptical. And the prices are not always very friendly. Well, that's true. Uh, I was actually uh, looking at a record. Here. Well, I was uh, brought it up on the Van Halen live show. I had an opportunity to get a sealed copy of Van Halen three, not even a, an official copy. It was from Europe for like 150 bucks. Yeah. And uh, for an album for Van Halen three, that's a lot. <laughs> I eventually did buy it because the guy came down to 70, but. Oh, okay. Was that a Discogs? Uh, no, this was actually, I, I'm on a few uh, vinyl uh, auction type uh, sites on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes something will come up. There's actually a, a Poison uh, record right now, uh, their Native Tongue album. That's the one without C.C. DeVille. Mm -hmm. And that auction's at about 150 bucks. A little too rich for my blood, but I thought that'd yeah. be an interesting one to get on vinyl. It would, yeah. I, I, I'm going for the original pressings for, for the the small collection I'm growing. It's yeah. mostly albums I had that I had to get rid of that I just kind of want my collection back. 
So I'm I'm pretty specific, although picking up the Great White North from Bob and Doug McKenzie was <laughs> an early purchase and a big treat. I smiled so hard when that arrived. And you, you can't throw a cat around here without finding a copy of that record somewhere. It's everywhere in Canada. Like, uh, I, oh, I swear sure. to God, the thing the thing must have gone like diamond uh, up here in Canada because <laughs> everybody I know owns a copy. That's I, okay. I gotta I gotta take a, a a slight side road here because I was listening to um, an interview with Ed Norton today when he had done the score, which actually took place in Montreal with Robert De Niro and, and Marlon Brando. Fantastic movie, one of my favorites. I could watch that over and over. But he was he was saying that um, the uh, the director was giving Marlon Brando some notes, and and Marlon Brando said like, "You've got to give me room to swing a cat around here." <laughs> and, and Ed Norton said, what the hell does that mean? And, uh, it doesn't it, matter if it's coming from Brando. You're like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you, you just aren't going to argue with the guy. Yeah, someone give Mr. Brando a cat. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of concerned for the safety of cats all of a sudden. It's not, <laughs> it's not looking good, but they got nine lives, so they'll, they'll be fine. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so our next track is another one that, uh, as Corey said, is not one of his favorites. Uh, even though it relates to his everyday life, and that's probably why this is called that's why. Long, <laughs> that's why called Long Cold Winter. So <laughs> this, I mean, it's, it's a decent blues song. It feels a little like if it was slower, I think they could have put more stank on it. Mm -hmm. it. It feels like it was just a little fast for, for what it's trying to be. There's some great guitar playing on this song though. I will say. Great guitar player, uh, or great guitar playing, uh, great vocals. Um, I just find it depressing because I'm now entering month four of our long cold winter and, and, this one just always brought me down because winters here suck. Yeah. And I always kind of equated this song with, with winter. Uh, like there's, there's good stuff on it, but I always skipped it because I wanted to get to the fun, happy stuff that made me forget it was minus 40 and there was two feet of snow outside. And I had to put up with this until June. It does kind of fit the motif of the album, the regret, the sorrow, the, I wish I had the, you know, I wish I hadn't, you know, kind of, kind of feel of the, of the overall album. So I, I get that part of it. I do like the organ uh, mm -hmm. on the song and I love the kick drum. We're getting that punch back because the, the, it musically it's freed up to have the space to let the kick drum come through a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, and I totally agree. It's maybe a bit too long. It's well over five minutes if I remember right. And uh, uh, yeah, it is. It's uh five twenty four. Yeah. That's way too long to be sad. Uh, when you're listening to it to a to a CD in 1988, like I said, uh, I kind of got to the last mile. I would flip the tape, so I would miss Second Wind, even though I don't mind that song at all. But I wanted to skip this one just because it just made me sad. Uh, I'm ready to get into if you don't like it. That's much more my speed. Well, I, I will say, if you are in a club, like you're you're in a, a blues club, um, I've been in a couple with like the real older people playing, you know, Hammond B3 and just kind of improving and amazing stuff if you ever get the chance to see that 
But if a song goes on five, six minutes in an environment like that, it's fine because it's mm-hmm. it's in the moment. It's very natural. It's it's you're part of that experience to listen to it on an album for me. Um, I'm just going to hit next. And I imagine this is when they probably did not do live at all. And if they did, probably not for very long, because can you imagine being at a concert and, you know, you know everyone's ready to kind of rock out and have a good time you're going to break out a slow blues jam for six minutes like that's kind of a tough sell in in a concert setting that's what your ballads are for you know when you're going to kind of like you know take a step back let people you know get away from the hard rock for a minute you know let their ears have a little bit of a break uh and you got to play them anyway so if you space them out throughout the show it works this is just going to make people go what's going on somewhere else tonight yeah you know where's where's the bathroom i'm never going to come back from (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that's enough of that. Let's get to uh, our next song. This is called If You Don't Like It. When this first started out, uh, songs like Highway Star come to mind, you know, that that kind of uh, just one note picking, uh, but it's got a great groove to it. Um, there's some nice changes right off the bat, kind of takes you in a, a bit of an unexpected turn. Uh, this is a good rocker for me. Yeah, it's a good rocker for me, too. And, and there you had those swishy hi-hats again at the beginning. Gotta love those swishy hi-hats. But, That's uh, right. And so you say I'm, I'm, the, I'm the only music expert on uh, our Aerosmith show, but you know when John Mariano explains symbols by calling those swishy <laughs> things, I, I feel like I'm I'm not alone. Swishy uh, and shimmery, and yeah, he knows <laughs> and, all the lingo. And speaking of, dare I say that the opening had very much movie-like guitars with those uh, <laughs> higher pitch notes that are uh, just kind of hanging in the air, reminded me of the end of the movie. Oh, Scott, this is much better than the movie. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm, I'm still going to fight for that song until the end of time. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get buried with a copy of that song, I'm sure. There you go. But you know what? I, I had to look up on setlist.fm. You think they played Long Cold Winter Cinderella? They played it 153 times. Really? Yeah. Wow. I wonder, how I, that wonder if, if, I wonder if it was a short version of it, though. Like, what, what is oh, yeah. considered a play? Like if they they have to play thirty seconds a minute of a song before it qualifies, because I can't imagine they did the whole thing. No, I wouldn't think so. No, and I know. Uh, well, later on, like they wouldn't even play the full version of "Don't Know What You Got." Uh, oh, really? they, they would they would break that off and go into "Nobody's Fool," so they'd only play a couple minutes of that one. So, uh, "Long Cold Winter." I'm just looking at a sample set list here. Was part of the encore, huh? Which is a- kind of weird. Yeah. Hey, you you loved us so much. You want us to come back and just kill it. <laughs> kill kill your spirit. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't like it, they played 42 times. So, Wow. Well, there you go. Um, I, if 
there must have been something about it that worked because I would imagine that if the crowd was not responding to it, uh, they would have changed the set list. Yeah, they played in 88 back in the 95, 89 a little bit, even uh, 2011. Uh, they actually played it the most in, in 2011, which is kind of one of their, their big comebacks with the, with the original four. Uh, hmm. they, they did this one. And it was part of the encore again. They would lead right into Shelter Me. Wow, that's really bizarre. Yeah. Well, I guess I won't be going to one of their shows, or I'll leave before the encore. That would work, actually, because then I could beat the traffic. There you go. <laughs> and like Shel- Shelter Me, I've heard a hundred times. It's a great song, but yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe skip the encore. Yeah, As soon as they play Gypsy Road, I'm out. Yeah, there, there you go. That's the only one that matters. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is a good song, though. I, I, I think uh, if you don't like it, is one that um, it, it's it's an a little above an album track for me. It's got a good groove to it. It wouldn't be a single, um, but uh, but I don't dislike it at all. Uh, nor do I. And I would rank it ahead of uh, Second Wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as being kind of an album track. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I think it could have been a single. Uh, it sounds yeah. great. Uh, the pr- production on it is stellar. Yeah. Uh, good kick and rock and little tune mm-hmm. with a good wanted... message. Hit the road because I just don't care. You don't. There like you it. go. Sometimes you just got to. And this is a. And if you do ever feel that way, by the way, folks, this is a great album to just put in the CD player and just just get on the highway and go for a while. Yep. Oh, it's a great driving record. Hundred yeah, percent for sure. Yeah. 